Connecting Minds is a space dedicated to honoring the amazing authors, researchers, clinicians, artists, and entrepreneurs who are contributing to our collective evolution or simply making the world a better place. These thought-provoking conversations are intended to expand our horizons, so come with an open mind and let us grow together. Here is your host, Christian Yordanov. Hello and welcome to the Connecting Minds podcast. I'm your host, Christian Yordanov. And today on episode five, we have Peter Conley. Peter is the founder of Integration Station, a resource for psychedelic integration. Integration Station provides protocols, tools, and awareness of modalities to improve your mental health and performance. He is a certified yoga instructor, completed a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat, and advocates for the responsible use of altered states of consciousness as therapeutic modalities. So on today's podcast, we with Peter, we'll discuss various things, including dealing with our past trauma and our wounds, uh, various non-ordinary states of consciousness, and how we can use them to access and release these kind of pent-up, stored-up traumas we all, we discuss Peter's journey into improving his uh, mental health and his own struggles. And I think this is really valuable for other folks to hear because we, we all have our own traumas and our own wounds that many of us have repressed and simply don't want to deal with, but they're at the same time con- diminishing our quality of life mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So, uh, it's really refreshing to see someone who can be so open and vulnerable with us so that we may benefit from you know his struggle his journey and his work now so i really appreciate and i'm very thankful that peter got on and 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 opened up to us especially for guys i think this is valuable because so many of us are so closed off closed up and we simply don't want to think or or discuss or deal with these past issues that we have that are, are, are just, they're just um, causing blockages in, in, in our, in our psyche that, um, you know, over time can develop into more serious things. So the first step as always is to kind of become aware of, of, of our own traumas and then begin to process and integrate them. And for that, I would, if you were on this kind of journey or, or beginning to, or thinking about embarking on such a journey, I would highly recommend Peter's resource, his website, Integration Station. There he covers a ton of the uh, modalities that are available or are at our disposal for this type of work. Uh, we'll be discussing some of these on today's episode, things like um, Tony Robbins seminars, breath work, uh, meditation, silent meditation retreats, psychedelics, of course. Um, but his website covers a whole lot more. So I, I found quite a few that I will be re- doing further research into. He also, uh, if you do go to his website, I highly recommend that you get his integration station protocol. I think it's like 16 or 20 pages of basically it's a it's a PDF you can you can get that just really helps you to plan for and integrate some type of peak experience. Let's say you're going to a four-day silent retreat or you want to do psychedelic therapy or any other therapy really. 
um, or counseling. And just this is a great tool that he has available for free for folks that can use it to 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 get a de- go deeper into yourself and really prepare and 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 get the most out of these peak experiences because um as he talks about a lot you know you might have an amazing experience but unless you actually integrate that into your daily life you've just had an amazing experience you know so it's 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 really important work he's doing and once again I'm I'm really thankful and appreciative that he came he came and opened up so that basically he's setting a good example for more of us folks that are walking around holding our traumas and 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 pain and and not doing anything about it and because we we know that doing something about it is infinitely better than not doing something about it, it might be a painful and uncomfortable process for a while but um in the end you you're much better off so uh yeah great conversation um as always show notes on the website links to peter's uh integration station website resource and uh, social media will be included there and in the show notes on uh in your podcast player also it's the it's a, there's a video interview available on youtube in case you want to watch that instead of listening some folks prefer that and i think that's about it uh, once again, thank you for joining me on Connecting Minds. I really appreciate you spending an hour of your time with me. I know it's valuable and I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Uh, thanks again. And without further ado, here is Peter Conley. Okay. Today on the Connecting Minds podcast, we have Peter Conley. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Christian. Now, of course, I'll read your bio at the introduction, but uh, do you want to give folks uh, a little bit of uh, your story, your background, what you're up to these days? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so name is Peter Conley, born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I went to a small state college in rural New York called Geneseo, um, lived on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon, specifically for about five years, and then recently moved back to Buffalo in 2019. And I guess my story or how it pertains to um, this podcast and this space in general is um, over the past five years, I've been on this journey and this path of um, improving my own mental health and using tool after tool. And some of those tools have included um, been to six Tony Robbins seminars. I've had a meditation practice, uh, specifically Vipassana, um, a consistent one for about two years. And I did a my first and only 10-day silent retreat of Vipassana back in 2015 out in, in um, Ona, Alaska, Washington. It's included talk therapy. It's included um, EMDR, um, transcendental meditation, and several other tools, which we'll discuss and get into. But it's really just been like, what can help me kind of tone down or rid my depression and anxiety that I've dealt with for, for years, if not a decade and a half. So... That's that's kind of what I like to share my story and just bring awareness to specific tools that people might not be aware of yet, um, and kind of share share you know share my story. Yeah. So okay. So you said you were grappling with depression and anxiety for what could even be said is a decade and a half. Could you maybe elaborate and you know go. You can tell us what whatever you want to share. You don't have to share, you know, everything. Obviously, there's always personal elements to every story. But whatever you can share with the listeners, can you 
tell us kind of how that started, how it progressed, what were, in your view, the catalysts for that, and and how did you begin to unravel this stuff uh, over the last several years? Yes. So how did it start? What did it look like, essentially? So I I think the first time I went into counseling was teenage years, 14, 15, 16, and it didn't really stick. I didn't um, see the importance of it, but I was there because I had, I guess what you would label as mild depression um, right around that time. So I'm 30 years old now. So to give the listeners context, that was around 2004, 2005, 2006. Um, my family was going through a fairly hard time. My father was struggling with a lung disease called pulmonary fibrosis, and he was on an oxygen tank from 2002 until 2009. He got a lung transplant, which extended his life gratefully for about three years. But that whole period of me from age 12 to 19, it was just highs and lows, peaks and valleys, roller coaster, like the, for a period of three years, we spent every major holiday inside of a hospital room just because, um, you know, he got this lung transplant and it was great. And then five weeks later, he was on life support. Then he got home and he was recovering. And then there was just kind of complication after complication, um, until his, his body and his lungs started rejecting the transplant. So that whole process was, was, um, grueling and, and sad and tough and, at the time, I didn't really understand um, the effects it had on me and my mind and my body. So that that's that was probably the largest issue that led into the depression, anxiety further on that that surfaced as a young adult. So there's that piece, and then throughout this, um, my mom was like just a makeshift nurse. She was just like a hero in that regards, tending to my dad's needs, doing research. And I think in that process, she lost herself a little bit. She, I don't think it was, she was officially diagnosed, but I think you, you could fairly say she had clinical depression or some form of hardship just from giving her soul and to keeping my dad alive. Mm. And then on top of that, um, my only sibling, um, had a severe drinking issue. Luckily they've been sober now for over 14 years, but their substance abuse got fairly reckless where they were they had to get sober by age 18 or they would have killed themselves um and then add on to that the um which i found through therapy is i had a fairly severe case of bullying around age 12 right when my dad got on an oxygen tank um kids around the neighborhood who happened to be my closest friends at the time just kind of shifted radically on me within a week or two i think it was just you know, young boys just jockeying for status and they chose me to, to level themselves up by bringing me down. Um, but it was pretty severe at a time where they were threatening to kill me and my family and like physically trapping me at the back of the bus. Um, so all those four major points just, just, um, in a very formative year in my life or formative years in my life, um, kind of set in, um, a sense of unease to my nervous system, um, physical trauma, and, and at the time I didn't have coping mechanisms or adults in my life to hold emotional space. So all that kind of set in and, and affected me, um, around ages 12 to 19. And so I went to therapy, talk therapy, I think around ages 14, 15, 60, briefly. Nothing, Is that your choice never or your parents, your mom? 
the talk therapy. I think it was my choice, their influence. Um, and they, they, they recognize the sadness, but what was my saving grace was that in high school, I had an amazing group of friends, just unbuilt, like just caring, um, ambitious, uh, loving, good, clean fun as a teenager. Like we obviously had some beers, but it, it was never the, the focus of socializing with that group of friends, call it like 15 of us. A lot of us lived around the neighborhood. So that was an amazing source of stability through all that chaos. And honestly, if I didn't have that, I, I don't know how far I would have fallen uh, that support group and just that great social circle. So um, yeah, the, the therapy was influenced by my parents, I believe, but I did it a little bit. And, um, but because I had that source of stability, I didn't see in the short term to use any other tools because that was kind of my rock. And, and so that was kind of sets the table for, um, issues that would fester for years. And they, that, um, those, uh, traumas and the lack of grieving properly for my dad and all of that started to rear its head as a young adult, call it 22, 23. Um, I, at age 23, I had a my first and only manic episode I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And what that looked like was I was look, working for AmeriCorps, um, which is like the Peace Corps, but a domestic program in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in the thick of a 10 month program about five months in, I had this like overwhelming sense of euphoria that I wanted to be a writer that came out of nowhere. And I told all my coworkers, I was going to be a writer and I'm going to do this. And it led me to just leave. <laughs> Like I exited the program with no plan, um, threw up a blog, only wrote like two blog posts. And um, I left and joined some friends that were doing a backpack trip in Peru. Um, and in the back of my mind, um, I remember hearing about ayahuasca, the substance down in South America that um, people use to spiritual awakenings for healing depression and things like that. And um, so I signed up for a, a retreat of ayahuasca. I believe it was three sessions in six days. Um, you know, you do a session, take it off, do a session, et cetera. And that was in July of 2013. And mind you, <laughs> uh, silly enough, I didn't, um, I had no meditation practice at the point. I didn't understand altered stage of consciousness. I didn't do anything beyond talk therapy. And I was basically learning how to swim in the open ocean, so to speak. So you can see, you can see it kind of laying the foundation for a bad experience. So I went, um, to two sessions after the second one, I, I was not willing to do the emotional work and was just very discomforted by the actual experience of ayahuasca. And then things started to unravel from there. I fell down there at the retreat. I'm sorry. Did you do the dieta prior to the the ayahuasca? Correct. I did the dieta. the The diet was part of the program, um, and things started to unravel down there. I lost my short term memory for about a day or two. Um, I was incredibly confused. My depression just got like ten x worse. Um, what the metaphor I can give it? it? It's like I went down there to get open heart surgery to 
clear out my mental health. And, you know, the, the ayahuasca or the surgeons caught my chest open, started working on me. And I'm like, nope, nope, I'm good. <laughs> no more. I don't want this. And I ran out the surgery room with my heart still open. That's, Jesus. I think that's the best equation where the, obviously the best decisions would have been to see it through, walk through hell, or just never sign up for the surgery in the first place. Yeah, so yeah. I, um, luckily talked to my brother over Skype when I was unraveling and he's just like as calmly and as concisely as he's just like, Peter, get on a plane. Like, I'd love to see you come back to Buffalo. It sounds like you're having enough time. Just get on. And I think if my mom were to have that conversation with me, it would have pushed me back too much or someone else, but my brother just the way he, he said it was just like, it got me on a bus from the sacred Valley to Pizak um, not PSA, excuse me, to Cusco, their main airport, and then got me, got me home to the U S and then things started to unravel. I spent the next six months just in a deep, dark depression, um, could barely get out of bed and tried very mild and other tools starting there. So that looked like at the time it looked like talk therapy. It looked like medication, um, did acupuncture on a regular basis and started to dabble with meditation. So it really was six months of just grinding to get to be basic level functional. Um, and then I got stable on that point. Um, moved out to Portland, Oregon in 2014 and, you know, ha- had a pretty good life. Um, did work for a digital marketing agency, spent a lot of time outdoors, had a good time with friends and around 25, 26, the anxiety started to really surface. Um, I was, I was functional at that point. I was employed, but it, my ADD was so severe. I was like borderline unemployable. I was rarely present in conversations. I would just always escape to my head and my mind and my daydreams, um, could barely sit still. I, and my digital marketing agency in Portland, um, I would leave my desk maybe 20, 25 times a day, just doing walks around the office, go to the bathroom 12 times a day, just like could not sit still literally. Um, and so out in Portland, I just started, um, kind of continuing that journey of trying different tools, um, where I did in Buffalo, you know, with the acupuncture, with the medication and those tools got a little bit more, definitely wider. Um, I signed up for my first Tony Robbins seminar back in March of 2016 and did three more. Well, I did six total, but I did three more. I did four of his behavior change seminars. He has a couple of like business and things of that nature, but um, learned a lot and that was incredibly valuable. And right around that time, signed up for my first 10 day Vipassana meditation, which was an amazing, amazing tool, Vipassana. And then got back into talk therapy um, and probably half a dozen other tools, man, just like EMDR, there's any science literature, if there was any um, person I followed, whether it be an author or an entrepreneur that said this tool helps and it was within my comfort zone, I would just do it. I mean, the my anxiety was so severe. I was not really putting money into retirement. I would say no to vacations just to pour the money into some modality to help move the needle for me and my anxiety. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that is such a great thing you did for yourself because that you know, what, why invest in the future if you're suffering in the present moment, right? 
Quite literally. Yeah. Like I could have, my dad could have left me 10 million and I, he could have left me a hundred million and the quality of life wasn't, wouldn't have been worth the just general, um, day to day, like what that felt like in my body. So of these tools, what, when you started using them, what do you think, um, moved the needle for you in terms of, you know, starting to feel better? Yeah. Great question. Um, I had a couple epiphanies. The first one was probably in the first Tony Robbins seminar I ever did. And, um, in those, he uses a lot of different tools. He uses static dance. He uses incantation. He uses questions to reframe your thought patterns. And I think in there was the first time I realized I could radically shift my emotional state just from dancing as silly as it was. Um, it gave me a sense of power over myself and helped remove the, the victim mentality from my mind for the longest time. I was just like, what was me? My dad suffered. Like I suffered because my, like this wasn't fair. Da, da, da. And that script was running in my head for the first 26 years. And in that seminar, um, through experience of just like going from like walking in day one, being fairly depressed and anxious to three hours later, dancing to pop music, just being like ecstatic. And I didn't have to put a drug in me. I didn't have to put a medication. I'm like, oh, like I can shift things like this powers within me. Um, so that, that, that light bulb went on. Then second would probably be Vipassana meditation, getting distance from my thoughts and truly understanding and experiencing that I am not my thoughts at that. The issue isn't me. It's these patterns of software that run on a loop saying, you know, uh, why are you so lazy? You can't be present in a conversation. It's like, those are just thoughts. Those aren't me. Um, those were two of the biggest aha moments, I think. And then the third would be in talk therapy, just, um, so talk therapy paired with, um, reading other people's stories about talk therapy got me to get a map of my mind and my history understanding that, yeah, Peter, like your father going through that sickness and your mom struggling with her own and your sibling struggling, that can lead to severe ADD. That can lead to um, just feeling so uncomfortable in your skin. Like that makes sense. And for the longest time, I told myself this narrative, just like, you know, you grew up upper middle class. You've never been marginalized for your skin color. You've never been marginalized for who you love. Um, you didn't experience real pain. Like there was sadness, but like, there's no way your history could lead to the anxiety and what you're suffering with. But talk therapy and reading other people's stories, specifically Tucker Max, the author, him sharing his history and how that led to his um, issues of attention seeking and such like clicked. It's like, Oh, here, like my past did matter. Here's how it's showing up. Here's how it's affecting me. And your pain was real. It gave me permission to understand it. And then it gave me kind of a map to be like, Oh, this is how you can solve it. These, these are the territories you need to walk. I'm glad, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because that is so important. Um, you know, not to take anything away from people who are, you know, marginalized for, uh, you know, what gender they identify with or, you know, for 
who they're attracted to or, you know, their skin color and so on. Of course, that is, you know, that what they're going through is obviously, you know, horrible, horrible marginalization. But at the same time, pain is pain. Psychological pain is pain. And we, we can have trauma where we, it's infli- something is inflicted upon us, but we can also, some people have trauma where something is missing through, through their childhood, let's say. <clears throat> and that can lead to us, you know, getting into depressed states and anxious states and, you know, seeking, seeking substances or experiences to avoid or make up for that pain or that hole in us. So, um, you know, I think it's important, like this is such an important thing to give yourself permission to, the, the way you said it is, uh, how did you say it? To give yourself permission to, to feel the pain, is it? To, you're, it's okay to- Yeah, to, to one, to, recognize the pain is showing up in, in your behavior, your coping mechanisms, perhaps habits you can't stop on willpower alone, and then feel the pain. Yeah. yeah. So have you been able to process some of that trauma since? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great segue. Um, and I think that's a good segue into talking about my project integration station. So how we connected was over Twitter and I was just talking about trauma and talking about different tools I've been using. Um, and through that, I'm building a project called integration station and integration is a term of, um, or the process of taking an insight, a realization, a download, um, from an altered state of conscious modality, and then bringing it into becoming a habit, bringing it into taking new action, bringing it into catharsis or emotional release. And what an altered state of consciousness is, there's many, many tools to get there. I mentioned a few already, like um, uh, meditation. Um, there's several forms of breath work, like holotropic breath work is probably best understood, neurodynamic breath work, summer breath work. And then in the, I think what's hot right now or, or getting the most attention is psychedelics and specific compounds or entheogens being used as medicines. Um, the entheogen that I mentioned in the beginning was ayahuasca. Um, and there's several that are being, um, and have been under, um, clinical trials over the past, I want to say 15 years ago, uh, the nonprofit maps started doing work with MDMA or the active ingredient ecstasy for specific trauma, um, to heal trauma in, I believe the population they target was, um, veterans war veterans. Um, and so with integration station, um, my, my purpose is to kind of bring awareness to all these different tools and modalities, and then, um, make sure you're actually integrating those experiences, whether it's, you just walked out of a 10 day Vipassana retreat and you, and you had the realization like, Oh, my job isn't right for me. Like this career in law, me being a lawyer, like I know in my heart isn't right but I've been ignoring those thoughts for years. Let's take action on it. Or it could be, um, in my case, doing MDMA therapy. And I had uh, repressed memories of um, severe bullying. Like I knew bullying was there, but I didn't realize they were threatening my lives. I didn't realize they were threatening to kill my family and my dogs and having that come up and then working on that, like having that realization and then getting into a type of therapy like internal family systems. 
So um, that is kind of how we connected and where I'm going is um, using all these different tools and responsibly as possible um, to help unpack my trauma and, and heal the things that are harder and, and deeper to get into. So could you maybe give us um, a little bit of, you know, uh, an overview? What, what, what is, what is it like to do MDMA therapy and what is it like to do, you know, let's say ecstatic dance and um, uh, EMDR and just to give the listeners a bit of a, you know, brief introduction, maybe to each of these kind of most common, you know, holotropic birth work. Um, obviously we know meditation, you know, thoughts surface up, but what about some of these less commonly known modalities? Yeah. That's a great place to go. Um, holotropic breath work. And I'm not, I, I might not articulate the best, but it is a, you can call it like active way of manipulating your breath, like over oxygenating it to induce a shift in consciousness, a shift in mental state. Um, and then within that state, you'll get visualizations, you'll get emotional releases, could be anger, could be sadness, could be laughter. Um, it's effectively playing with your physiology to get out of your normal waking state consciousness. The, you know, the, the heavy monkey mind where you just have that crazy person talking over and over on loops and narratives and a tool like breath work, specifically holotropic can change the TV channel in your mind so that you're tuning into something else. You're not tuning into that narrative or those patterns of thoughts and emotion that have been there over and over. I think it's you, it, it's impossible to fully describe in words what an altered state of consciousness is until you actually experience it. But, but I'll try with the language I have. It is shifting your experience of reality um, and, and shifting the patterns of thought you have shifting the, the somatic experience in your body with a certain tool and holotropic breath work um, has been a, has been a really good one for me. And, and so and to, to, to just, zoom it out, just briefly, the purpose, can I just, sorry, Peter, can I just, um, Go ahead. Squeeze this in. So you talk about, um, you tweet about how the trauma is stored in the body. Maybe you can kind of weave that into as you continue. Yep. Yep. So based on my learning through people like Dr. Peter Levine, who wrote, um, my book is right here. The book title is uh, In an Unspoken Voice and Dr. Mm. Bessel van der Kolk, um, who wrote The Body Keeps a Score. Awesome book. Um, their, their theory or their research has led them to understand that stress and, and actual emotions literally get trapped in your body when you suppress them, um, anger, sadness, grief, etc. And you need, or in order to relieve them, you need a modality that actually tackles it and releases it. Um, a lot of, from my understanding, a lot of psychedelic compounds do that. Uh, MDMA therapy did that for me. 
I actually had like during those sessions I had like, it looks like seizures, but I'll call them like Jimmy legs. Like my body involuntarily was vibrating back and forth um, to like physically release the stress that was trapped in my nervous system. Um, I've also done um, a type of massage called Lomi Lomi. I believe it comes from Hawaii or Southeast Asia. Uh, my practitioner is from Hawaii. Awesome guy. Um, and What's he is, he will hone in on like parts of my muscles and bones and be like, he said like, Oh, Peter, I think you have some anger from when you were seven trapped in your shoulder. I'm like, no, <laughs> you like crazy. What are you talking about? And like, lo and behold, he'll start digging into the tissue and I'll have a memory of being angry at my dad pop into my mind and I'll just start roaring uncontrollably. So it's just, <laughs> what is going on here? It, it seems so surreal and it doesn't seem, um, yeah, it doesn't seem real, but from, um, using the school of thought of trauma from, from doctors like Dr. Bessel van der Kolk and Dr. Peter Levine, their theory is that the emotional suppressions you have, the, um, high stress impacts, the actual traumas get physically stored in your body, stored in your nervous system. And you need tools to actually go in and release them. And I, from my understanding, the tools are plentiful. It could be trauma release exercises like TRE. YouTube has a bunch where they're just kind of like, look like yoga poses, but they, they induce the same somatic releases that I talked about. Um, it could be Lomi Lomi massage and it could be some uh, psychedelic compounds that help actually tackle and release those stored in the body. Yeah. So there's only so much we can do with talk therapy, it seems, right? Correct. Yeah, from my understanding. And I forgot, someone had a really good quote. What have been Tim Ferriss it said that um, you cannot you cannot talk your way out of what you talked yourself into. So if you had an issue at like pre language when you were a one year old where you felt terror because your parents were screaming at each other, you you can't talk therapy can't get to it because yeah. it was developed before your language was fully online. Um, yeah. It, and, and I am not disparaging talk therapy. It's been an awesome tool for me specifically. I know it's helped millions and millions of people, but part of my project is to bring to awareness that it's one piece. It's not the whole puzzle. Yeah. And that from my understanding now, you need a modality that actually works on the body to release those emotions and those traumas stra trapped in the body. Okay. Um, there's a couple more. I'm actually, I have quite an interest in, um, I know a little bit about EMDR. I have a couple of books that I've yet to read. Could you t tell us what your experience with EMDR and what it is and what your experience has been? And then we can maybe this internal family systems. I'm not quite sure what that is. That would be great to know a little bit more about. Yep. So EMDR is, I'm going to get the acronyms wrong. Eye movement, desensitization. Desensitization. Okay. Yeah. Sensitization. You got it better than me. Um, and it is the movement of your eyes back and forth while, and in my MDR, I use tappers that look like uh, video game joysticks that release vibrations. So it's influencing your eye movement while um, having those vibrations in your hands. And I believe. I'm not terribly well-versed in the actual science behind it, but I believe it's trying to get past the guard of your conscious mind 
or bring down those defenses to get into your unconscious to help um, give insights, to help unpack emotions, to help get understandings into what's beyond the conscious mind. I've so done it. self administer that? No, no, you do it with a therapist, a trained practitioner. Right, right. I've done it twice. I did it with my therapist, my general talk therapist in Portland a couple years ago. And then I've done, done one, did it again in Buffalo. Um, that's one modality for whatever reason. It didn't move the needle too much for me. I've heard plenty of people where it's been great. Um, I don't know if my defenses are too strong or, or what's going on, but um, I think it's worth checking out for sure. If people are interested um, there's plenty of practitioners in most major cities that do it. And most of the time it's covered by insurance. So it's, and it's, and it's, um, it's low invasive. It's not, you're not flying down to Peru <laughs> to go talk to the Jaguars, right? It's not, yeah. um, it, it's very accessible. By the way, it's, sorry. Sorry. Can I just, uh, uh, just to go back to that ayahuasca stuff. Like I, I really feel like doing three ayahuasca sessions in like a, a week that that's just way too overwhelming for people, isn't it? Don't you agree with that? I think it was obviously overwhelming for me. Um, it's probably overwhelming for a good chunk of people. Uh, I'm sure it it has it has. There's some reasoning and logic behind it. I don't know enough about ayahuasca or the tradition of the indigenous cultures, so I I I can't. Yeah. I get what you're saying. So yeah, it was. I'll agree with you. It was too much for me. Perhaps it's too much for a good chunk of people. Who knows if that's 5%, 10%, 20, but yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess people, they, they, they don't, they don't have the luxury to go, you know, fly over one weekend every month to do it once. So they have to kind of squeeze them in to like a retreat type. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if the theory behind it is like the first two sessions are to lower your defenses and then you actually dive deep on the third. I don't know if that's the reason behind it. But I do know, I believe, um, Saltara, which is an ayahuasca center in Costa Rica that a lot of the larger well-known names like Kyle Kingsbury um, from On It talk about and, and talk about with great respect. And I believe they have a similar structure. I believe it's two to three within a week or whatever it is. So there might be a there there. I, I have no idea. It clearly was too much for me. And I, you know, I'm under the camp that like, it'll be too much for you if you've never dabbled with any form of altered states of consciousness, like medicine, um, like meditation, like breath work. Um, I, 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 even though you're pro like, there are plenty of people who have been okay with it. I am in the conservative camp of just like before trying any entheogen, uh, any psychedelic, just like meditate, please <laughs> like understand and experience what that is to get space from your thoughts. And then try something deeper like breath work. I think I've, I've seen, and I'm worried people are diving a little bit too deep with these hyper potent tools. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm literally a case of that. Like I was a knucklehead 23 year old who signed up for literally the most, the strongest mind transforming compound <laughs> on the planet. You got balls at least. We what? say that. You got balls. <laughs> balls are stupid. I guess maybe they go hand in hand, but I, yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Do not learn how to swim in the open ocean. You can get wrecked and drowned. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, for sure. The three times in a week was too much for me. For everyone, probably not. It, it might actually be the exact protocol they need to go deeper. But 
my experience was like way too much. <laughs> but uh, I, I like what you said, you know, do do stuff. And there's so much free stuff you can do before you go deeper with medicines. Like, like you said, meditation, journaling, uh, you know, there's things like, I don't know, Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, of course. So there's a, I think journaling, writing, writing your thoughts. I don't personally do it uh, anymore, but that can really help people kind of process a lot of stuff before you you get into the nitty gritty of it. So yeah. Um, yeah talk to me about been a really good tool for me. Yeah, talk to me about internal family systems, Peter. That was something very interesting that I know little about. Yeah, yeah, it's another one I I'm I'm not terribly well versed at. So apologies if I get some details wrong, but it is reviewing your history and identifying parts of you or ages where there was some sort of trauma or issues that need healing. And that could be the three-year-old that saw their parents get divorced. It could be the 12-year-old that got severely bullied. It could be the six-year-old that got sexually molested and understanding when that part of you surfaces. Um, and that could look like, um, fear of attachment in a romantic relationship. Let's say you're 30 years old and you're in your career and things are going well, but you just, you're afraid to fully commit. And perhaps that's because your seven-year-old that saw your mom afraid to fully commit and got a divorce. That seven-year-old is coming up in you and being triggered. Um, so it's identifying and working with those points in your history and, and those parts of you um, that rear their head. And, and just, and also giving context of those heightened emotional experiences and how they can shape you, how one, one fight, witnessing one fight from your parents at a very young age can have its effects and impacts today. So you, you've read a little bit into how trauma can affect addiction. Would you maybe discuss that point a little bit? Yep. Yeah, so my my reading and understanding of how trauma can affect addiction, real the majority of it stems from Dr. Gabor Mate's work, who's an amazing man, and I recommend anyone um, who is learning about or wants to understand the trauma model of addiction opposed to the disease model, to just Google Dr. Gabor, and he he's been on the podcast circuit. Like he talked to, he has a great one with Tim Ferriss. I think it's two and a half hours long. Um, Really wise man, like grew up, I believe, during the Holocaust in Eastern Europe, fled, um, became a doctor. Amazing story. And he's just so like calm and soothing and level-headed. He's like the elder you want. Um, so, so my understanding comes from his work. Um, and his, I'm going to paraphrase, his school of thought is he believes that the majority, if not all of addictions stem from trauma or emotional wounds and most likely childhood wounds. So that, you know, that um, opiate addict on the streets of Vancouver, Canada, um, the reason why they're escaping their pain with opiates perhaps is because of childhood sexual abuse or, and it doesn't even have to be substances. He, he's under the realm, like people, even in our, in our public, like public figures or business leaders are actually addicted to power and money. Like they literally could not stop running a hedge fund if they tried. 
And that's because they didn't get some need met or they had some emotional wound as a kid. And they're trying to stuff down that unconscious pain with a behavior that numbs it in the short term. And that behavior could be attention seeking. That behavior could be gambling. That behavior could be porn like me. Um, I was, I, it took me a while to like actually come to grips with it, but I was addicted to porn. Um, call it from age, I don't know, probably 18 to, to 30. And with the MDMA work I've done, that addiction's melted away. Don't eat, not even literally tempted to do it. And I haven't watched it in, what is it, October, over five months um, after my last MDMA assisted psychotherapy session, which was just mind boggling, right? You, you I, I feel like the most common school of thought is the disease model of addiction, uh, where it's like once you go past a tipping point, the chemical hooks, hooks get locked in and you all you can do is mitigate the addiction. Um, and I'm, I'm probably not articulating that perfectly, but that's the general, my understanding. But after my work with all these modalities and my last MDMA session, literally not even thinking about porn for the past five months when I did for the past 12 years, it's just mind boggling. And I, I believe what's happening to me is I, I was using porn to quell the anxiety that was on like constantly going in my body. And, and once I released that through the MDMA therapy, like that general feeling of electricity running through me, that general feeling of unease toned down a lot. So I didn't need a soothing mechanism. And how many sessions of MDMA therapy did you do in total? Yeah, I've, I've, let's see this. I've done it outside and I've done more than the MAPS protocol. So I don't want to yeah, get into how many, cause I, I, I want, okay. I'm trying to, I want the focus to be on the, the nonprofit that's doing all the research and doing the protocols, but I've, I've done more than the protocol. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So, so by the, the, this is what I like, um, uh, you know, about all these modalities, right? Is they, we, it helps us to unlock traumas. So a, a lot of us think our personality is the way it is because of, you know, how our brains are wired, right? Mm -hmm. But the research into things like neuroplasticity, how the brain changes itself depending on the environment and our, you know, what we put into our body and neurogenesis, the ability to, to, you know, literally grow new brain cells. Um, it, it's not like we are wired one way. We are constantly rewiring ourselves based on everything we do in our environment. Right. So we are, many of us are unaware of traumas that are stored literally in our body somewhere in our sure. psyche somewhere. And what these practices, not necessarily just psychedelics, although they are probably the most powerful, quickest way to start unearthing these traumas, what they allow us to do is to unearth and process, process and, and this is what I think Stan Groff talks about. It's, it's all about allowing the, the, the full spectrum of the emotion, the wave to complete itself so that it can be integrated. So something you can, fill that space. And um, I think that, that why this is so important to talk about, and this is why I wanted you to, you know, get on the podcast and talk about this stuff. And I highly appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing so much of your story with us 
Peter, is if we don't deal with this shit now, we're literally going to be passing it on to our kids. And literally, you know, yep. we're perpetuating our own traumas. It, they're literally inheriting our traumas and they will then, and it's like what you, you have on your Twitter account, um, kind of your, your little statement um, where the bio thing is hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> I love that. And healed people, yeah. heal people, you know, and in order for us to collectively heal ourselves and each other, we need to start processing that kind of the gunk, the garbage blocking us up. Agreed. Yeah. It, the breaking the pain of breaking the chain of the pain, breaking the trauma starts with us. And through my specifically talk therapy work, I've noticed the patterns my mom's had specifically anxiety and extreme daydreaming and checking out. Like I absorbed one-to-one that I modeled her how to deal with pain. And like, and I know for sure if I didn't do this work, I would have passed on to my kids. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, it definitely can be passed down. And I love that quote, hurt people, hurt people. I don't know who, who said it first, but it's so simple yet so powerful. Like it's so true. So um, what, what's kind of, what's your plan for integration station to, to, to develop it and grow it in the future? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Awesome question. Um, I'm building it and I'm kind of seeing where it goes, but as of right now in October, 2020, it is to one, bring awareness to all these other modalities that can really help. Um, and to the people that are already using these altered states of consciousness modalities, whether that be holotropic rhetoric, whether that you're going down to Saltara to use ayahuasca, it's to create re- resources and more structure into the actual integration integration process itself. If And if you ask me, and you, you'll probably hear this all around, like integration is the actual work. Um, so I'll give you an example. A, integration would be like if someone did ayahuasca and then they they had a repressed memory that comes up of uh, sexual abuse, right? They It was locked in their mind. They didn't realize they had it. And they felt those emotions and that experience. Integration would be going, you know, once you get back home from South America, be like, okay, I'm getting myself into a support group. I'm going to try internal family systems. I'm going to talk to my mom about it, who didn't abuse me, but wasn't aware. And we're going to cry together. Um, it'll be journaling about it. It'll be integrating it into your understanding of who you are and what, how it's shaped your behavior. So that's my main focus with integration station is one awareness to these other tools. Please use them wisely. Please use them legally if possible. And then two, um, try these journaling exercises after your holotropic breath work, hire an integration coach. If you've done NBMA therapy, like do the actual work, um, post peak experience to get the most out of it. I, I'm playing with this analogy and it feels like um, doing a peak experience, whether that's ayahuasca or whether that's four hours of holotropic breath work and then no integration feels like signing up for a tough mutter or a marathon once in your life and then never working out again. <laughs> like you, you'll gain some muscle and you'll probably lose some fat, but like the whole point is the consistent practice to have those habits solidify and, and, and just build on top. Yeah, or you could injure yourself. 
and have a bad experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or you can, like I did, like I was the fool, 20 year, three year old fool flying down to Peru to, to jump into the deep waters. Yeah. Well, I think what you were seeking is healing. And this is, I think this is why kids and not, not kids, but even folks our age, you know, 30, 35, even older, they're seeking out, they, they can see that the system, the systems we have in place are inadequate in helping us deal with all this stuff. So correct. They're seeking out left field solutions. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you going to have a directory of, of integration coaches at some point? Is that your, part of your plan? Yep, I will. I, I have one, um, on there right now, Cindy, who's awesome. I used her for my last MDMA session. She really helped me. Um, and then once I kind of tweak what that system is with my website, I'll, I'll add on more. Um, I know maps, the nonprofit has a really exhaustive list, but yeah, once the website gets rolling and enough people ask, I'll, I'll definitely build out that, um, coaching list. Yeah. And actually what is it like, let, let, okay. Give you an example, right? Let's say, um, there's no coaches here, right? Let's say I'm going to take whatever psilocybin and I want to be responsible about it and I want to work with a coach, but I can't go into a therapist, you know, like some sanctioned therapist because of whatever reasons. It might not be legal. I might not have access, et cetera. So I want to work with an online coach. What is the process with working a coach like that in terms of the preparation you need to do? How many sessions would you do optimally before, after this kind of stuff? What's that like? So there, I'll make a distinction. There's a facilitator who actually is sitting there while you're doing the plant medicine work or empathogen work or entheogen work. Um, who's the actual therapist holding space while you're undergoing that trip. And then there's a coach who's the afterwards. So the facilitator is like the surgeon. The coach is like the physical therapist helping you mend afterwards. Good um, I don't, I don't deal with facilitators. I'm not building a, a, a directory of them. You, you kind of have to find them on your own. And if you're, and if you're wading into the waters of plant medicines or things like outside of legal realms, you got to be very, very cautious. It's like literally giving your brain to a, a brain surgeon. You met off Craigslist. Like th there are good ones. Um, but just like use your discretion. Not everyone's well-trained and I, 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 I don't even, when people ask me and I, I, I don't point them in the, I just, I don't feel well-educated enough. I don't, it's finding a facilitator for these, um, modalities outside of the maps trial or going to ayahuasca clinic is, it's a tricky thing. Um, oh yeah. So there's that. But then in terms of coaches, let's say you, you know, you, you've gone down to Saltara or you did um, psilocybin in myco meditations, which is in Jamaica and it's legalized. The coach is for the afterwards. And what the coaching looks like is um, a lot of back and forth conversation. It's, it's kind of like, feels a little bit like therapy plus specific journaling exercises plus understanding of the mind. Um, and I'm sure coaching looks very differently, but effectively what a coach does is helps reinforce the epiphanies you had during those sessions, whether it be holotropic breath work, whether it be ayahuasca down in Peru, and then holding you accountable to 
you know, get into those support systems. If you did indeed experience sexual abuse, you know, you, let's say you, you surfaced it from your mind, you're back home in Detroit and you're like, Oh, that's awful. And then three weeks go by and you're not in support group that coaches be like, you know, this is the work, like, please get in there. This is how you heal. So it's, it's that piece. It's the social accountability plus deepening your understanding and the insights you already brought up during those speak experiences. So are these coaches, would they then be, have to be well-versed in whatever modality you're, you're, um, experiencing? Correct. Yeah. I, I find it very hard if they're not, if they haven't done it themselves to be a very good coach. And that could be from ayahuasca to holotropic breath work. Definitely find yourself a coach who has personally gone through that modality and understands the ins and outs, ins and outs of it. Mm. Would you care to share now? I know you've tried a lot of different stuff and a lot of it sounds really awesome. And I, I, I'm actually signed up for a, a breathwork workshop in a few weeks time. And, you know, I love trying stuff. I'm doing more meditation lately. But can you tell us of all the stuff you've tried, you know, what, what are your favorites and what are like your, your kind of your staples now that you do, let's say on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, this kind of stuff, yeah. if, if, if you would care to share? Yeah, no, of course. The... The three by far most impactful have been Vipassana meditation, which is a staple of mine. I do it 10 minutes exactly every Vipassana? morning. I'm sorry. What, what's the difference between, let's say, Vipassana meditation and just whatever meditation? Yeah. Meditation. So Vipassana has two parts. It's um, Anapana and the Vipassana. It was the organization or nonprofit was started by a man named S.N. Goenka. I think he's from Southeast Asia. He's since passed away. He's built hundreds of free nonprofit centers to learn Vipassana across the world. It is the Anapana section of it is literally just awareness of your breath underneath your nostrils. And then the Vipassana part is body scans of just being mindful of up and down between the top of your head to the, the, the front of your forehead to your jaw. And supposedly, I believe this is the exact same technique the Buddha used. Um, as to how verifiable that is. I don't know. But um, Asan Goenka built this institution and this understanding of this practice. Um, and it's been awesome for me. It's You can do a 10D uh, Vipassana. It's purely donation-based. If you only have 10 bucks to give after the 10 days, you give 10 bucks. If you want to drop 10 grand because you're so thankful, you can do that. Um, so I do Vipassana every morning for at least 10 minutes. I actually do it in work now. Uh, my day job is sales, software sales, and my boss is cool with it. I'll literally like go into a conference room, sit there for three minutes, retune my mind, and then get back on the phone to sell. And it's awesome. It's it's free. It's so gentle. Anyone can do it. Uh, awesome tool. The second would be the Tony Robbins seminars. I've gotten so much out of them just from understanding of psychology, from understanding, like just getting rid of my victim mentality which was just such an anchor. And if you have that, it's really hard to heal. It's really hard to improve in life. Like as much as it sucks, taking full responsibility of your life really is like a prerequisite. Um, and then MDMA therapy has been profound for me. It's been an amazing tool and I'm incredibly excited to see it available to the public. Um, very, very shortly. Maps, the nonprofit, is doing amazing work. Rick Doblin, the founder, has been in the trenches getting that that whole protocol legalized and getting the public knowledge for like 
three decades now or something crazy. The guy's just been been an awesome um, champion for healing. Yeah. And what's amazing is that they won't stop as soon as MDMA is legalized. They're going to be, you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca or God knows what else. Maybe maybe boga or ibogaine, which is amazing that it's really going to revolutionize um, mental health care, I think. I agree. Yeah. Okay, Peter, um, can you tell folks where they can find your work and you on social media, please? Yep. Um, the only place really I'm active on social media is Twitter. And my handle is Peter D. Conley. That's P-E-T-E-R-D-C-O-N-L-E-Y. Um, that's how we connected. I love Twitter, by the way. It's an awesome space for this. And then my project integration station can be found at the URL um, integration dash dash station.com. Awesome. I will have the links in the, in the show notes and on, on the website. Um, so folks can go learn more. I, I actually, um, there's, I'm looking forward to kind of, you know, producing this episode because, uh, you know, I have to rewatch it and, you know, kind of put the links in there and I'll, I'll link to some of the stuff you link to. Obviously I'll link to integration station, but, um, I'm just re really looking forward to exploring more. This this Vipassana meditation with the body scans I've been reading about. I forgot the 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 type of meditation where you you basically it's like a body scan, but you you're feeling the energy go up your back, kind of upwards. I forgot the Roy Masters or something meditation. And there's people are saying just these body scan type meditations are really really beneficial. I think in the military they teach. Um, soldiers to do a certain type of body scan that helps them fall asleep in like two minutes or something like that. You know, there's a lot of really powerful tools out there. And um, yeah, look, I want to thank you for once again, for sharing your story, being vulnerable with us. I think especially for guys nowadays, it's just, it's hard enough to talk about this stuff with a therapist or with your friends or someone close to your partner, Never mind to share it with a wider audience. So I want to really thank you for, for, you know, that shows a lot of um, maturity and, you know, a lot of, I don't know, a, a, a lot of kind of, it, it feels like you really want to help people because sharing like that, it, it actually is helpful for people because it will allow others to open up more, I believe. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for your time today on the Connected Minds podcast, Peter. Thank you, Christian. And special thanks to guys like Tucker Max and Tim Ferriss. I wouldn't be here without their guidance and their them sharing their stories. So I feel like I'm just, you know, paying it forward, passing down the baton to people who, who I can. Yeah, yeah. It's like standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, all the all the folks that, you know, are on this podcast, you know, it, everything I know and I, I talk about, I've learned from, you know, from them and others. So it's all about sharing the knowledge, sharing our experiences together and growing together and, you know, healing together so we can pass on, you know, pass it on to others. So yeah. healed people, heal people. Heal, heal people, heal people. Exactly. We'll definitely be staying in touch, Peter. Thank you again. Thank you, Christian. This was awesome.
Thank you for listening to Connecting Minds. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and found it interesting, illuminating, or inspiring. For episode show notes, links, and further information on our guests, please visit ChristianYordanov.com. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with someone who might also enjoy it. Thank you for being here. Thank you.